So I thought I was the queen of Airbnb. Check the profile. I visited all the places. However, how can I truly be a queen if I have never been a host? Didn't even think about it, y'all. It's time to think about it because my place is cute. Why not share? I know. I got you thinking about it now. All right. Well, don't think about it. Be about it. Find out how you can be a host at airbnb.com slash host. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. You look gorgeous. Oh, thank you. This is I awesome. figured you guys would be colorful and I was going to do the green and purple and red hair thing. I love it. <laughs> Working for you. Yes. Absolutely. You. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Questlove Supreme. My name, of course, is Questlove Jenkins. We are joined by the almighty Team Supreme members starting up Power Forward, my main man, Unpaid Bill. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Power forward. I like it. Number four. I'll take I'm it. I'm proud to say that I've I've gotten Unpaid Bill off the ledge, and I think I made him watch his first episode oh. of Euphoria last night. Oh, me too. I'm on it. Oh, I'm man. It. I had a full-on panic attack, and I turned it off. Euphoria is the new, uh, uh, It's to me, it's the new contraception. It's, <laughs> it's the new don't do drugs. <laughs> If you have the new don't have, have kids, daughter, yeah, no, it's it's euphoria is the new do, do not have kids, yes, exactly. Laia up next, she's our center. Oh, uh, I did play center on the boys and girls club. I did. How did you know that? Yes, I just I'm, took a wild guess. How, how, are, how are you this uh, this lovely evening, Laia? I'm trying not to embarrass y'all and break into tears as I am in the presence of a queen, so just oh, know, I'm yeah. just, just bear with me because. This is, <laughs> oh, it's a lot. Okay, so our our uh, our power for it is uh, Sugar Steve. You, you got to stop with the sports analogy. <laughs> no, that's that's just that's just your go to, Steve. Like he's a right. small well, forward. I'm a small forward. Yeah, I could shoot the three. So just pass it to me outside. And uh, oh, okay. They sports. used to call me Downtown Stevie Brown. So <laughs> all right, well. <laughs> I, I made you my power forward still, Steve. And you know, right. of course, my 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 shooting guard right here is Fontigolo. Yes, indeed. North Carolina's own. How are you? Shout out How's to the shooters everything? and the shooters only. I'm good, man. I'm good, man. I'm uh, happy to be here. This um this this interview, this is this is gonna be a lot of fun because I remember looking in the paper as a kid and the luck of the draw album was always on the charts. <laughs> yes, oh so. my god. That was- <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I will say I'll, I'll try not to gush over the the intro too long, but <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta pull out the commemorative one for this. Um, I'll say that our our guest tonight, probably the most truest sense of the word, is an artist in the truest sense of the word of artist that the industry has ever known. I think for the last five decades, um, she's held the torch super high for uh, I mean just the lost art of sheer authentic blues madness in addition to other genres of music uh she's a supreme songwriter bullseye vocalist hands down all-star level uh delta blues guitar mastery and i'm not even going to i'm not going to frame it like she can hang with the greats as far as i'm concerned the greats are trying to hang with her oh Um, and after oh no (laughs) it it gets even better so (laughs) after I, I, yeah, two decades like after a 20 year run of, of critical claim after critical claim release, I will say that in 1989, the stars aligned when after nine or 10 attempts, I believe, I think it's your 10th album, the world finally caught up uh, to her level of soulful rock and blues magic with a little bitty album called Nick of Time, which, yes. uh, in my opinion, is one of the most well-deserved comeback stories but you know i know most artists are like i never left you know it's not like an overnight success thing um it garnered her album of the year accolades platinum glory uh a whole new fan base that resonated and related to her outlook of a generation getting mature uh in a new decade which you know the 90s were upon us by that point you, you remember the 90s people 30 years to, ago yes exactly oh <laughs> Not to be outdone, I'll say that uh, her her follow-up album, Luck of the Draw, um, with the immortal classic, uh, I Can't Make You Love Me, in addition to other things, is an even bigger monster. Um, wait, it's just, it's just hit me right now that my third book might be named after a Bonnie Raitt song. I definitely remember one of the last conversations Rich and I having about naming something to food about, and I remember him mentioning <laughs> Bonnie Raitt, so... One, one of my last conversations with my manager before he passed, it's just hitting me right now. Her legend status, of course, came full circle in 2000, I believe, when she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I can say for myself personally uh, that her actual story, her entire story has been um, an inspiration for me um, as a kind of blueprint in terms of artists that are trying to stay true to their integrity without hmm. and trying to find a space to also make a living and connect with their fan base. Of course, this upcoming summer, uh, she'll be conducting a tour with another great Mavis Staples. Um, I can go on and on and on, but please, let's just get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to QLS, 10-time Grammy winner, master musician, singer-songwriter, overall legend, Bonnie Raitt. Yes. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Wow. Yes. In the paint with my buds <laughs> here. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. indeed. Uh, where, where are you talking to us right now from? Where, where are you at? I'm out in Marin County, about 15 minutes north of Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, where it is truly beautiful, and we got some much-needed rain for a minute last night. Whoa, I never heard a Californian actually welcome rain. Normally, it's the opposite, where I hear them always complaining about rain. We need it. We're in a serious drought, man. We've got, mm-hmm. you saw those terrible wildfires oh, we've the been fires, having in the right. West. Yeah. Okay. We need some water. Yeah. Santa Ana season, Santa Ana winds coming. 
All right. Yeah. So near have you how long have you lived lived out in that area? Well, I go back and forth to LA where I was raised, uh, but I got it's too much traffic, too much show business and once I got sober about 35 years ago, I went I was up in the daytime and I went, "Man, this place this this is not beautiful." <laughs> and and I had been there so many years. I always wanted to move to where the redwoods were and where I could hike and breathe the clean air and be near the ocean. So, I've uh, been here like maybe a little over 30 years and I go back and forth when I rehearse and go into the show business world. I go down to LA and then up here I'm in the chill in the redwoods kind of I love thing. it. Just go to LA, get your money and then go back home. I love it. You got that right. So you're recommending <laughs> that if I were to choose a place to live in California, because I mean, I'll, I'll admit to you, I'm probably one of the few people that I might pretend to be, you know, everyone pretends that they're so jaded with LA, like, ah, I can't stand it. So fake, so phony, whatever. I'm not because I don't live there. I still like look forward to always coming to LA. Like it's still, there's still a little yeah. bit of magic luster to me, but you're I, saying. I feel the same way because I don't live there anymore. So when I go there, I get a kick out of it. And okay. it's, it's, um, it's really, there's a very, there's some really cool stuff in LA. There's mm -hmm. a lot of stuff, but it's really crowded. And at some point when you're on the road, as much as I am and in a hotel downtown, you know, sometimes you just want nature and you want some quiet, peace and quiet. But so were you going to ask where I would recommend? Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, if I didn't have some success with Nick of Time, I probably couldn't afford to have moved here. So that, that is one thing. Let's talk about and, uh, it. You know, there's some communities that are affordable in California that are also beautiful, but man, that you have to go a long way mm -hmm. to get there. So if you want to be near an airport and hospital and yeah. I don't know. I think Marin County, Sonoma County, Napa County, those are all great, but you got to be worried about the fires. And, um, you know, on the East Coast, you get worried about flooding and some extreme weather that you guys have been having. But uh, mm. I don't know. I, I just love, I love all the parts of California for lots of different reasons. The same way I love all the parts of this country. I just, when people ask me, what's your favorite? I go, Man, the Northwest, no, it's New Orleans, no, no, it's Texas, no, it's, but Northern California is where I choose to live because the weather's really nice. You can go outside every day and, you know, I, I, it's kind of in, in a vicinity of a, some cool cultural scenes in Oakland and Berkeley and San Francisco, and yet I got the mountains and can have the solace of being in nature. Roger, okay, so we're all moving uh, next yeah. door to you right now. We can talk. All right. Well, that means we're getting a lot <laughs> of big raises. Raises is coming because, man, that's the second highest place, you know, most expensive place yeah. to live in the country. Yeah. Uh, when I moved here, I, you know, I just on the tail end of where I thought was going to be a bunch of, you know, hippies and drug dealers and shrinks and stuff. And just, hey, but man, it got, it got soccer mom pretty fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I see. I see. Um, so I start off every episode with the same question. So you're no exception to the rule. Uh, could you please give me your very first musical memory? Oh, I think my dad, who was a Broadway leading man, singing the songs from his show with my mom, warming him up on the piano. She was his musical director and rehearsal pianist. And um, I remember being really little and hearing this big old booming voice singing these great Rodgers and Hammerstein songs. So I'd have to say my folks playing in the house. Were you, were you uh, what was your sibling situation? Uh, how many were you I the only child? Two brothers, two brothers on either side, two years older, two years younger. I'm the only girl. Oh, 
Wow. So, okay. You were, you were, what was that like for you? Like in terms of trying to find space? Oh, you know, I just idolized my older brother and I want, I was a serious tomboy. I got the, I got the, right after I stopped playing with dolls and stuff, I, I scuffed up and uh, just was, got real good at sports and cut my hair just like my older brother. And uh, I just, Got the picture early on that women had to do all this stupid stuff to make themselves pretty and liked, and I just didn't dig it, you know. So I just sort of stayed with that one of the guys thing for a long time, and look how I ended up. I'm one of the guys in my band. <laughs> okay. Does that mean you can really fight, Bonnie? Like did your brother? No, we were well. We were Quakers, so we did. That's fight. right. That's right. I punched my little. I got my little brother pretty bad some one time, but no, I just I I think. Um, I love being the only girl in between my brothers, but you know when it, when you hit twelve and your brother ditches you, because he's you know when t- when I'm ten and he's twelve and eleven, thirteen, you know they they just sort of reject you and then you're just left to go. Oh my God, what's this puberty thing? You know. Oh yeah. So all bets were off. I had to become a, a girl after all. Okay, <laughs> so I'm actually glad you said that because I'm I'm currently dating a Quaker right now. Get out and- of here. And this is and this is one of those things that, you know, like when someone's so obvious and you're afraid to ask questions because you feel like you should know it already. What what exactly differentiates a, a Quaker from a civilian, if you will? Oh, well, the short version of it for lay people is um, my folks were both raised uh, Scotch Presbyterian for my dad and my do- my mom was the daughter of a Methodist minister. And they both, after the Second World War, they they decided to become Quakers because they were really the, it's not an anti-religion, but there's no altar, there's no minister, there's no, people sit in a circle and you just get quiet and anybody that's moved to stand up and speak can speak. There's a pacifist, a belief in pacifism because there's that of God in every person and if you love the the divine, then you don't want to kill somebody. And the idea is to appeal to that of God in another person and reach a conflict resolution and treat like Jesus would, you know, just see that of God in the other person and turn the other cheek and try to find a way to get along. So that's the short skim the stone across wow. the lake version. But the, <laughs> the social the social version of Quakers is they're the ones on the ponchos on the peace march that helped ban the bomb. They stood up for social justice. They stood up for humanitarian. They they go all around the world and are accepted in oh, yeah. areas of conflict because they don't take sides. All the way so back to slavery too, right, Bonnie? Like they yeah, were helping in the slavery, underground railroad and Quakers had a belief that everybody was equal and that nobody was above anyone else, and they got persecuted from it and shoved out of England. Because they wouldn't take their hat off to the king, and they were thrashed and flogged in public. So, I like their kind of rebel spirit, and I like their the teachings of real nonviolence and, and uh, love thy neighbor. Come to come to roost in the Quakers really well. So I'm you're proud. okay. You're okay. Now I get. I she get made it, that sound so badass, like Quakers. Oh, Gracie's trying to turn me into a Quaker. I get it now. <laughs> well, you don't have to listen to a boring sermon, that's for sure. But I'll tell you what, I miss the music because there, you know, I listen to gospel music in LA. I turn on the black gospel station on Sunday mornings and go, man, that's I, I dig the Quakers and all that. But when you're when you're eight, you don't want to hold still for an hour. 
you know. Right. You wanna, oh, so there was that, absolutely no musical worship, not none whatsoever. No, not none of, none of that. But we, you know, we sure made up for it. I just remember playing a lot of ping pong in Sunday school. Oh, <laughs> really? She about to turn a lot of people. Listen. Well, well, you know that your parents, you, you know, Quaker meeting. You were really quiet. It's like meditation, a group meditation, and kids are squirmy, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're you're probably too squirmy to be a Quaker. This yeah. no, you don't even understand. <laughs> this this explains everything. <laughs> I didn't realize <laughs> this is where my life is headed. Yes, oh, I ain't mad. mad. I, I ain't mad. You could do worse. You yes. could do worse. You know, Quakers are really cool. They they stand up for their beliefs. They they go to jail. Conscientious objectors, and yeah. you know they got a great history fighting slavery and being on the right side. And now Richard Nixon was a Quaker, but that's a different. Oh wait, branch. what? Oh no, different right. different, <laughs> different branch of Quakers that had a minister, and you know they also are really s- simple. They don't believe in uh, you know buying stuff and adorning themselves with. Things that you don't need. It's not as severe as the Shakers who don't even use buttons. Remember that um, Witness movie with Harris yeah, Ford? Her- yes. But I love that. I love that when uh, Ivan Neville was in my band for a long time, and and he said his our expression was Alexander Goodenough played the boyfriend that was pissed off that Kelly McGillis was harboring Harrison Ford. Yes. And she, he comes out wearing her ex husband, her dead husband's clothes, and they're way too small for him. And Goodenough looks looks at him and goes. Very plain, very plain. So that's what Ivan said. Ivan said the rest of his time with us. I said, "How you doing?" He's going very plain. That was a small, good movie. A small, a little, little uh, Questlove Supreme tidbit trivia. In 1984, um, so my, my for those, I mean, for the three of you who listen to the show that don't realize my beginnings. I'm on. Uh, my father was uh, a notable oldies doo wop singer back in the fifties. You know, kind of made a living in the in the seventies and eighties on the on the you know on the on the doo wop circuit. And as you know, you get up in age, like around your forties and your fifties. Uh, so does your fan base, and of course, like the way that my life is now, where you know all the CEOs of all these companies or whatever, like went to college back when the roots were first starting. Uh, my dad was actually offered the role of Danny Glover in Witness. Oh man, it's it's one of my biggest regrets. When like some guy walked up to him, it's like Lee, then he came to his show and was like, Lee, I'm such a fan of yours. And and there's a script they'd sent a script to Witness to the house, and I was like, it's a small role you could do, but you know my. My father was very insecure about his reading and talked himself out of. Oh, like he, what I call he manifested. He 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 sabotaged. Oh, he was he was chicken. Yeah, I got offered a role by in uh, Death Becomes Her. There's a bartender. They ended up writing it out, but Tracy Ullman did it. Yeah, but I was too chicken, man. I mean, I'm pretty ballsy on stage. You know, I got one personality, but in my real life, you know, acting is like. Oh, turn the cameras on. I get nervous. So, but I, I, re, you know, it, there's, I understand that getting too chicken when it comes down to being on a film. That reminds me that um, I'm currently reading a book right now that is sort of my Bible. Um, I gifted it to about 200 of my friends uh, for Christmas. It's written by an author called Gay Hendricks, and it's called The Oh, Big yeah. Loop. Good and friend of mine. Yes, four, chapter four is about 
your story. And it's just hitting me. I didn't even make the connection that I'm actually talking to you right now. But wow, yeah, big, I didn't even know he put me in a book. I hope it was all good stuff. Yeah, what's it about me? What's the, the chapter? Um, the big the big leap is basically, you know, as I as I've explained, if there was ever a story that I wish that I could give to people that I give the story to people that I feel that are on the rise to another plateau. Cause all, basically gay Hendricks says that we are psychologically programmed to not enjoy happiness for more than 30 seconds before we instantly, like I can have a moment right now where it's like, yo, I'm so excited to talk to Bonnie Raitt right now. But then in the back of my mind, I'll say, Oh shit, I forgot to turn the oven off or that's real. Is my mom okay? Did yeah, she, you don't she stay in the moment. Heart? Right. And so it's it's because I know so many artists that are sort of subconscious self-saboteurs. Yeah. Um, but he it goes he, with the territory. So he talks about how you made a decision to leave your comfort zone. And he, he says that uh, we all have something called the upper limit problem, which is exactly you. You get to a you get to a sky's a limit place where you're just like, I'm comfortable here. I'm comfortable doing my podcast. I'm comfortable doing this and I don't want to do anything else. And how you made an active decision to uh, move into uncomfortable spaces. And he basically said that you manifested your nick of time moment. Like literally you, 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 you saw yourself getting on stage, accepting the award. And I did. Well, I did. There was a cassette when I first got sober, I got a Lazarus, you know, some channel guy, somebody gave me these cassettes and this guy was channeling this person who doesn't talk anything like this other guy. I don't know if you guys have ever heard anybody that channels a, 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 someone from another realm and you don't even know whether wow. you care whether do, that's real. I do this all the time, yes. Mediums but, I mean, or... that was what's so cool. And I, and I remember doing this thing, like it said, concentrate, you know, picture yourself doing something that you really, really would like, like either be married with kids and playing with them on the carpet or something that is just out of the realm of possibility but you wish would happen. And I... I said, oh, this is crazy. And, you know, I had been dropped by my label. I hadn't made the album with Nick at Times, signed a new contract yet. And I just had this beautiful rebirth of being sober. I just took to it really well. And and I was healthy. I'd lost a bunch of weight. And I was just so grateful. And I pictured, I said, okay, I'll pick the wackiest thing I can think of. I'm standing on the stage at the Grammys in this gold jacket, and I'm un un thanking people at the podium, at the Shrine Auditorium, and he, they said, now picture yourself and go up about 30 degrees and, and hold that image from the back as if you're looking down from another plane and hold that for about 30 seconds, you know, a few times a day and see, see what happens. So I did it, you know, just for a goof and then forgot all about it. And then it wasn't until luck of the mm -mm draw that I turned to Don Was and I said, oh my God, he said something about, you know, manifesting. And I went... Get out of here! Because I, I had totally forgotten that I had really just made that leap, and and I remember Gay saying, "How?" I asked him how he was doing, and Gay said, "I'm really happy. I made a decision to be happy." He said, "All you have to do is make a decision to overcome that self doubt in the back of your mind." Well, and I'm, your dad, I'm, your dad could have been a movie star. Yeah. Well, I'm li I'm literally that. I'll say that that book. 
there's about 10 books I recommend, but of all, I'll say of the 40 books I've read in the last two years, basically since like March of 2020, when the pandemic started, this is the book that I feel has resonated with my community. Like this morning I gave it to Janelle James, you know, hey. uh, yeah, like the, se the, yeah. the second, like the second that I hear any artist do a self doubt thing, like, our, we have a friend named Janelle James who's like excellent stand-up comedian and she's now pivoting into a uh, comedic actress on a show called Abbott Elementary. Oh and yeah. She's killing it. And she is killing that shit. I is she the lead is she the lead of it? She's, she's, the, principal. she's, the, principal. she's, she's the, the principal. She's the principal. She's the principal. Yeah, she is dope. She's she's really funny. She's like the Kramer. Right. And so I told her like you're so good that I will I mean, I don't know why with 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 the Television Academy, I haven't been as vigilant as I've been with the Tonys and the Oscars and the Grammys. But I told her I'm actually going to send in my my form so that I can vote for you to be best supporting actress. And Good for she kinda, you. But she kind of like ducked and dies like, oh, no, you know, whatever. No, no, no. And this that triggers me. And instantly I was like, nope, I'm getting you this book right now. Like nothing Good triggers me you. more than self-downing people. So but. it's called The Big Leap to everybody listening. Leap. And it is available on iBooks. And I'm buying it and not waiting to be the 210th friend to get it. <laughs> I will buy it for you. <laughs> it's okay, but I got $15. Come on now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get, no, seriously, it's it's a short book. It's I get, get If you one. get the audio book, you'll be finished in two days. But okay. it's probably the most crucial book and literally the the bonnie rate chapter is what i'm using right now cool for my situation in in four weeks so i like that bonnie rate mm -hmm. didn't even know that there was a chapter about bonnie me too right? i think that's even yeah, better. yeah. Oh. i like that i didn't even go. make the correlation that the person that made me do my morning mirror exercise <laughs> is i'm talking to her and i totally forgot that it's great and so yeah. what's great, and this, this, this synchronicity of this stuff is pretty amazing, isn't it? Yes. Well, clearly absolutely. you guys have your pastor over there in the corner. But <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, so Bonnie, do you do more now? Do you do more manifesting? Do you do more kind of like, you um, you know, I, I try to, th I, tr I know that I, I mean, I can't really say I ever did that. I've, I've told people about the miracle of that because I just, because especially because I forgot about it. And then that exact thing happened. But I think if you imagine something that you really want, like I, I, when I have friends that are ill, I picture them up and about and recovered, and I picture that really hard. And and that trick about this is not from Gay Hendricks, but the the the, the channeling per Lazarus, the standing above and looking down at at the you know f burning that into your mind that here's my friend who's ill. Not only is he out of bed, but He's walking around taking a, you know, we're taking a walk in the park and going to go get some, get a salad someplace, you know, and just imagine that. Just picture us, just picture it, picture it. I think there's really great doing power it. in it. I'm doing yeah. it. Like, I think a lot of people are listening. They're going to be, I, you, Amir, you know, I don't play. When I get this kind of information, use it. No, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm chuckling because it just hit me that this might be the sixth Questlove Supreme in a row that, <laughs> that has been more about self-improvement and like like we're about to be lifestyle improvement instead of music yeah so. <laughs> you so know what you gotta fix you gotta fix the inner the inner to get the outer you know what i mean music comes all comes from the same source if you got if you got 
as Robert Johnson said, stones in my pathway, you know, you got to move them out of the way and let that, let that flow happen. Absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, self-doubt, self-doubt is an interesting source of songs. I mean, I wrote a funk jazzy song on my new record called Waiting for You to Blow about the little devil on your shoulder just going, come on, I just, I know you're going to mess up. Come on, have another piece of pie. You know, stay up late, forget, lie about returning those emails. You know, oh, I meant, I did send them. You know, all that ways that you, you flirt with the dark side and, and, you know, that's just part of being human, and then you forgive yourself and pay attention and and move on. But you know you got to pay attention. Listen, black representation is essential. If I hadn't seen and heard certain black women in radio, I wouldn't be in radio. Women like Robin Breeden, Candy Shannon, Michelle Wright, Deanna Williams, women. Owning radio stations like Kathy Hughes. Listen, the next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. Word. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Each episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Smurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I feel silly. Because as much traveling as I do, and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. I was just curious to know, uh, Bonnie, about your sobriety. You said, you know, it's been 35 years. 
Uh, yeah. Sobriety is something um, that is um, it's tough in any aspect, but particularly in the context of the music business, I imagine it's, you know, even crazier. How have you stayed sober all these years? Well, for starters, the the inspiration of seeing how many people didn't make it, you know, losing mm -hmm. friend after friend to uh, either deliberate or accidental or just lifestyle caught up with them. And that doesn't even have to be, you know, drugs and alcohol. It can be workaholism or, you know, gambling or food or whatever, you know, the ways that you're just kind of filling that hole. And once you understand about the addictive personality or that, and, you know, a lot of us just developed an allergy to drugs and alcohol as we got in our, for me, a lot of us in our late thirties couldn't get away with what we got away with for those first 20 years. And Facts. it just didn't look good. You know, I got fat. I got, I mean, I wasn't messing up my shows. I mean, Audiences love blues singers that are heavy, you know, and have man problems. Mm. Oh, look at her, you know. That's part of the I mean, hey, maybe that's the Mary J. Blige syndrome. We seem to only like her right. when she's depressed. When she's sad, right? Mm -hmm. You know, who want, you know, Etta lost a lot of weight. She said, I wonder if people are still going to want to come see me, you know. I said, mm. girl. So anyway, how I stay sober, um, I, it's, it wasn't, I, I was really lucky and really blessed because there's a whole lot of people in our industry who had to stop. And I'm one of the people that needed to stop. It worked better for me right away. And that because of those people in those rooms and those meetings, they're professional partiers. So their stories are better. They're funnier. They're, you know, we all help each other. So it's not something you do alone, but it's really the community. I know anywhere in the world when I have issues, I can go to any meeting, either virtually or in any town, I've been in meetings in Russia and Australia with like pirates down by the docks, you know, guys that look like Popeye with no teeth with 150 tattoos. You know, like, and you hear those stories about how they stay sober, you know, it's kind of a cool fellowship. So it was it was an unexpected, non cult kind of a thing. I thought I thought it was going to be a bunch of moonies talking about Jesus all the time. But, <laughs> but it's Wait, not. I always wondered about that. Because there have been a few times where I thought that I, too, would have to sort of flirt with circles of, of meetings and whatnot. And then I always talk myself out of it because, you know, I felt like post-social media age, like there is no such thing as being anonymous. Mm. But there oh, was never yeah. there was never any trepidation of like. You know, oh my God, it's fucking Violet Rate sitting here in our circle with you know that sort of thing. Or I was really nervous about it, which is why, in my case, and a lot of my other friends, there was a musicians' meeting. You know, I know there's lawyers' ones, there's doctors' ones, because oh, doctors wow. are afraid they're going to run into their patients. Right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the cat wow. who operated on my yeah. mom, and it didn't go well. You know, now I know why. You know, and the lawyers. Oh man, damn! I really, never thought you know, about it that way. Ooh. I mean, imagine imagine going to an AA meeting and seeing your the judge that sent you, your right. brother away. You know right, what I'm right, saying? Right. So I could dig why people go to a community uh, industry in our industry. Yeah. So I, um, I'm, I've been doing a Zoom meeting with people that are in the industry, and people are really respectful, and, and uh, every, we all need the same thing. So the musicians' meeting really gave me the confidence and the anonymity and, and took the pressure off. Mm -hmm. um, but then I just wear a hat, and I, I don't even – people don't know it's me when I go on the road if I go to a meeting. You know, they just don't mm – -hmm. they're only interested in your first name and your story, so – 
But, you know, if I, I've walked down Fifth Avenue with Whoopi Goldberg. I don't think she could ever disguise herself. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> Quest Love, you might have a hard time being anonymous. But I think if you just pick and you get used to it, it's after about the second meeting, you don't even think about it. Okay. No, no, I, I, I've gotten away with many a non-crime crime in, in terms of... His hat gang. Shut up. Yeah. Now you're being sarcastic. No, I'm okay. serious. I'm like, yeah, okay. no, it's all about hats. And for me, it's covering up this little skunk streak I've had I was about since to say, I was yeah, but I got to do it too. Yeah. It's like one, the only real color I have on my head, but the, um, the, the, <laughs> the hat. And if I don't wear eye makeup, man, people do not get it. But when I check in my luggage outdoors on the cat and the curb at the airport, guy's going, give him something to talk about. The porters always, <laughs> skycaps, always know it's me. Nice. Now we just check in, check in with a, you know, kiosk. But can you tell me? Uh, do you remember the first record that you ever purchased? Yeah, it was Odetta. Wow, Odetta. It was like yeah. I, I didn't have a lot of money, but I spent my allowance on a record store where we could go into Wallach's Music City and put the headphones on and. I went to summer camp while my dad was on tour doing Broadway shows in regional theaters and st summer stock. John Rate, uh, we should also mention that your your father's the legendary uh, John Rate theater actor and Broadway music leading man, yeah, from Carousel yeah. and Pajama Game in Oklahoma. So he made his living touring three months every summer, and their friends had a Qua Quaker friends had a camp with all counselors from all around the world. And UN kids, you know, just every every stripe, every possible permutation of religion and color and background. And we all went to this camp, and our counselors were mad for folk music. So that's how I got way into it. And I idolized my counselor, and she turned me on to Odetta and Joan Baez. And I went home and begged for a guitar for Christmas and just sat there and taught myself to play till my little fingers were bleeding and that's that was uh, that Odetta record. She continued to be an inspiration to me, but that was I'd never heard a voice like that in my life. So you were self-taught, or did you have any lessons at all? I had piano lessons for five years, but the but teacher didn't want to let me learn. Back then, they didn't let you learn pop music. Oh, so man. I switched. I, I had gotten pretty good on the guitar, taught myself to finger pick, and, but I never had any lessons. So I do positions of the chords and the slide guitar I play on the wrong finger because I taught myself entirely in my room without anybody showing me. And I play by ear. So by the time I was around other guitar players and saw that you play E in this position and you're supposed to use your fingers for this, for that chord, too late. I already was doing it. <laughs> so, you know, every time I've heard you speak about music um either you know like you'll uh do these shows where you'll you'll tell stories and whatnot like i always felt like you were a serious mu a musician and a serious advocate for like all these blues greats that you know that aren't really championed by like the mainstream press and whatnot but i always wanted to know because i mean you're coming you're coming of age uh when the british invasion starting and all these things like in your teen years, like you just didn't listen to like the, the Archie's yummy, 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 or just like, just like <laughs> froth, frothy pop music. You know, LA was all that when I was in junior high school, it was a super fad for the beach boys and surfing came in. So all the guys had their hair like Dennis Wilson and bleached it blonde <laughs> and, 
you know, it, it, it just was too plastic. And sort of, it, at the time, I, I wanted to be a beatnik and a jazzer. And I was I was a member of core and SNCC and, you know, because we were Quaker. I just couldn't wait to get old enough to go Snick? to Greenwich Village. Snick. And, Snick. Yeah. Everyone select a comeback, Bonnie Raitt. <laughs> and I was like reading Sing Out magazine and. I just wanted. I went to camp in the yeah, in the East Coast with all these liberal, lefty, international counselors and and campers, and I and LA just seemed really plastic. So I loved when I, when people have asked me, "How did you get into R and B and blues?" and I said, "You know, early on, I knew the difference between Bill Haley and Little Richard and Pat Boone, and and you know." Fats Domino was like a god to me. You know, Chuck Berry, come on. Chuck Berry was like the most gorgeous guy I'd ever seen, and he played the hell out of the guitar. His grooves were hellacious. So Fats, you know, Lloyd Price, oh, my God. I mean, and then somebody gave me when I was 12, a guy who sold Channel Master TV antennas, gave RCA on Channel Master, and he said, hey, Bonnie likes music, and he gave me a box of 12 Ray Charles albums that I, you know, at that age, at 12, I would have never been able to afford or even know about. So I got Genius plus Soul equals Jazz. I got Ray Charles and Betty Carter, the album dedicated dedicated to you, you know, all the, you yeah. know, named after the cities. I mean, you talk about learning how to sing. That was between listening to gospel on Sunday on the radio and all of the R&B records that I just mentioned, you know, Major Lance, and then Motown came in. That was it. I was just the Motown until Aretha Franklin and Stax and Sam and Dave, total soul music hound. But I didn't hear about electric blues until the Rolling Stones played Little Red Rooster and Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters. And then I got, I think like a lot of kids in the mid-60s, we got turned on to our own musical heritage by the Brits. So I, I, I was just a total blues hound. Okay, I was going to say that um, I, I worked with, Marshall chess a few times, um, you know, in the, in the early aughts. And he was telling me stories about trying to convince his dad and a lot of the older blues artists on that label to sort of loosen up and get with the, the times of like black psychedelic rock and all these things, like especially with the Muddy Waters record. Uh, what was the wait, Steve, didn't you engineer that project that uh, we did? Like it was uh, electric mud. Yeah. Yeah, the electric mud yeah. stuff. So mm -hmm. when I mean, I didn't, I didn't en engineer the original electric yeah. mud. I'm oh, not. Okay. Yeah. How old yeah, are you? Yeah. Not, I'm about to say how old are you? No, <laughs> no, no. But what yeah, I, th that was one of the greatest fold-out album cover pictures of all time. That and Isaac Hayes, the fold-out picture that turned into a poster. I had them in my house, Isaac and Muddy. Like, hello. Really? <laughs> Only so in a Quaker yeah. house. That's what yeah. I no, no, I was out. I was out the house by then. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So what I wanted to know was, okay, so as a true fan of the blues, like I know that older blues fans, some of them scoffed that like, yo, yourself, like similar to, to Dylan getting some pushback for going electric, that there were some yeah. authentic blues fans that felt like, you know, like uh, now these guys are trying to sell out to get a younger, uh, to get the hippies and, you know, yeah. to get a wider audience and all those things. But did those particular, now for, from my standpoint, I loved Electric Mud. Like half, half of the first Cypress Hill album is from 
you know, the Electric Mother record. And what's the, the other title? Uh, uh, what's his name? Hates his Me Fathers and Sons. Well, no, no. They're, the the title's really He Hates This Album. Uh, it was like a sarcastic album title. Like Muddy Waters Hates His Second Album. Or, oh, God, I don't know. I, I just didn't, I didn't relate to those records, so. Right. No, no, no. But I meant, like, for you to hear at least, I mean, I would think that you released in your early teens when that came out. Did you? Well, I was in the middle teens and I didn't dig it. You know, I love those early Muddy Waters records. I mean, that's some of the greatest playing of any band ever. Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, John Lee Hooker's original records. Oh, geez. So that's sort of like so electric mud. Yeah, I'm not a big psychedelic. (laughs) I didn't like. I thought the playing on some. I didn't. I haven't heard Electric Mud in a long time. I did buy it. But I haven't heard it in a long time. But I did have that the album, the in, well, in the robes. I mean, and and his hair. Come on, it was. And then I I had no idea I'd be like really good friends with Muddy all those years later. So you know we we I, I wanted to have an open mind about the sessions that they did with you know English guys, and I just didn't think it sounded as good as the originals. I was ah, pre- damn, I was man. prejudiced the other way, you know, as a, a arc. No, I, I wasn't I get open-minded. Because even now with hip-hop, like, there's a lot of our greats that, you know, have decisions to make. Like, should they readjust their... Like, for example, Nas is a great example of that. Like, right now, Nas is about to see probably some of his best success sort of getting a little younger with... Um, who's who's producing this record? Hit-Boy. Yeah, Hit-Boy. Yeah, with yeah. Hit-Boy. Which, of course, you know, his older fans are like, you know, the album that Nas made 25 years ago is like, you know, that's their North Star. And, you know, yep. a, we're, I'm happy know. for his success. I'm happy for his success now. But, you know, but I also feel like maybe that's us also secretly just saying that we wish that time would stand still. That's exactly what it is. You can never compete with nobody's nostalgia, bro. Like, but, yeah. you know, the ears, the I, ears you know I mean? don't, you know, if your ears don't dig something, I mean, everybody's got the right to do whatever they do in their musical path and nobody wants to get stuck or bored. Mm-hmm. And people have the right to go more commercial if that, if they're sick of being obscure or it's, you know, but you got to really dig it. You got to love what you're, mm-hmm. the, the combination of your new collaboration and being put through the new producers, you got to love it and not do it for commercial reasons in my opinion yeah because you're not guaranteed to have that commercial success yeah and if your fans don't dig it you know that's you know it's their choice to stick with the older stuff you know but right so that's the rate of it right like that's what you were talking about earlier about what's special about your music in a way is because when and that's what amir was saying when you can stay true to yourself and still reach these levels of success and you know cross over but you're not changing who you are. Well, that was a lot of things happened at that particular time where my 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 guild, you know, the recording academy gave me some props at a time when the public at large like I've never been nominated for a people's choice award, award American music award or any of that kind of stuff. So it was really 5,000 people were voting for Grammys and I think Don Henley and Tom Petty probably canceled each other out and I just kind of eked by by a few, you know, and got the album of the year. <laughs> I mean, it sold a million before. You're the people's champ, honey. You don't feel like you're no, the people's champ. No, no, I like being a cult artist. And it, and after that initial first two albums, with Nick, Nick of Time and Luck of the Draw, and then all of the regime that promoted me got fired at Capitol, and I had eight presidents in the 
15 years that I was on that label. I don't even think I was on there that long. And every time you make a relationship with radio and they come to your shows after the show on tour and you have these relationships with the promotion people and then they fire everybody and bring in new people that have no relationships. You starting over. My third album that should have done just as well with Love Sneaking Up On You On It you know, mm-hmm, it went from mm-hmm. 7 million records to 2 million because there was nobody coming to the shows. There was no relationship. I didn't go to the radio station. They didn't have any free tickets for me to say hello to them afterwards. And, you know, it just petered out. And then, frankly, the ageism in the music business, you know, at 45, almost every woman especially gets booted off even VH1. So you um, become the legacy yeah. artist. And But, you know, I'm happy selling 3,000 seats at the Beacon Theater. Two nights at the Beacon, That's that's a hell of a... F- a crowd, you know, for me. Right. So Absolutely. I'm grateful to have no pressure. I never wanted the pressure of having to follow up another record with us or be compared to how successful this one was. I just want to artistically keep getting good reviews and having people go, she did it again. There she goes. She did it again. Right. But, you know, like everybody else, I have my favorite albums of my favorite artists. And But while I'm on that, I just have to say, you're... This show has had some of the most incredible conversations with people that I love and goes so deep. The one with Bruce Hornsby just slayed me. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, wow. Because that's my, that's my jam. If I could have one, yeah. if I can only have one artist on a desert island for the rest Bruce of my Hornsby. life, it would be Bruce Hornsby. Why Bruce? This, this, just listen to the introduction of I Can't Make You Love Me or The yes. End of Innocence. Oh yeah, or mandolin yeah. rain, mandolin da, rain. Da, yeah. da, 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 da. Oh my god, <laughs> and I, love me I, still I mean, too. Oh my god, that is the one for me. Yeah, Shaka, and you t- you guys talked about that on the show. I learned a whole lot on the show. It was great. Wow, thank you. I'm glad. dang. What a guest. I didn't know that. Keep it on you, Listen, okay. Talk about basketball. I, there was a lot of basketball in that show too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. His son's That's a basketball awesome. player. I feel like we should end this interview right now. That was a pretty good interview. Right, exactly. Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. 
as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. So can you tell me what led to your signing to Warner Brothers uh, in in 71, in the beginning, like what, what the process was? Well, because I wasn't expecting to do this for a living, and I just happened to be dating the the Dick Waterman, who managed Sun House and Mississippi Fred McDowell, and had helped rediscover Sun, um, the father of Delta Blues, and brought him out and put a lot of the blues artists under one agency, so that these club owners couldn't say, "Hey, we've already had our older black guy this month. Why should we pay your guy eight hundred bucks and we got him for five hundred? You know." Excuse me. So he he consolidated them in kind of a guild of badass, and the rate kept their prices up and didn't let them didn't get them these young blues fans that were managing these guys were was running them ragged. They were like in their sixties and making them play three shows a night and taking half their money. And anyway, it's a sordid story. But uh-huh. Dick Waterman was really instrumental in bringing Buddy Guy and Junior Wells out of Chicago. Big boy Arthur Crudup. He got the Royalty finally got royalty reform, and Elvis Presley finally, after after Arthur died, they settled the estate with Elvis Presley, and they finally got some money for That's All Right, Mama. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the man was... So I had, uh, I had access to opening the shows for my heroes. I, didn't, I wasn't threatening. I was cheap. I played my own guitar. You know, I carried my own guitar. I didn't need a band. And um, I got my foot in the door just opening for my heroes. And somebody, Dick's lawyer, Nat Weiss, uh, well, it was the lawyer that was handling, he was Brian Epstein's partner in the States. And he, George Harrison wanted Buddy Guy on Apple and Eric Clapton wanted him on RSO. Mm-hmm. So they were they they brought Dick. And I went to the meeting when, when and Nat Weiss said, no, I think you should sign with Atlantic. And meanwhile, oh, we became friends, and I was playing the gaslight, opening for Fred McDowell. And Nat came down, and he went, "Oh man, you got, you got something there." And so he called all these record labels and had them send scouts down. And the other scouts saw the other scout, and they went, "What did this guy know?" You know. So he drummed up this uh, interest in me, but I always knew I wanted to go with Warner's because they had Ry Cooter and Randy Newman and James Taylor. Right. And uh, I went out to L.A. on Capital's Dime and played at the Troubadour and did a showcase. But I, in the afternoon, I snuck over to Warner Brothers and said, I want to come on your label. <laughs> so I, I, asked, I, asked I, for 100, I asked for 100% total artistic control. I said, don't give me, I'll just give me the budget. I'll make the record. No advance. If I save anything after making the record, I'll buy myself a new Volvo or something. 
And I said, just get, don't tell me when to play, record with who to work, what to sing, and how to look, and I'll work my ass off for you. And they, they, they went for it at 21. So wait a minute. You're saying that you wow. were out there to, to talk to Capitol. They paid for the trip, yeah. Right, and instead you, sn- wow. Well, I oh, mean, I was open. I was open to it, but in my heart, if I could get Warner Brothers interested, right. Randy Newman and Ry Cooter were like, you know, Apollo and Zeus to me. You know, that was just they, and the, and Warner Brothers that said we make our money from Black Sabbath and Deep Purple. We don't care if you're you're not a hit record. You can do whatever you want. Wow. You know, little they had they little feet. You know. They gave, they, we believe in you. You're not a singles artist. We have the Grateful Dead. We'll make our money from these other guys. So I thought that was so righteous. Who was the CEO of uh, Warner at that time? That Joe Smith. Oh, right. Freedom. Well, Mo, Mo Austin and Joe Smith were, were uh, the reprise and Warner Brothers, two, two pairs in the same funky old building that no longer exists. So they were a family kind of a joint, you know? It was like. Yeah. So, yeah. Can you also, this is what I always wanted to know. Um, I don't know. I think one trip to Japan, I think I've ran across like a Warner Brothers EPK where not since the days of Motown did I see this thing where like all the Warner Brothers artists would travel together. Like I think I was looking up like old Graham Central Station footage, but it was like, the Doobie Brothers, Bonnie Raitt, Grand Central Station. Da-da. It was like, was it always like that where there was a Warner Brothers touring season where they decided? Well, I didn't get to go. I had so many. I, I worked. I was booked like six months in advance for the 10 months of the next year. And I, I I made six albums in seven years and stayed on the road the whole my whole 20s. I don't know how I did it, but. The Warner Brothers music show, I didn't get to go on. They went to Europe. I don't know. They must Well, you must have known if they went to Japan together. But it was Little Feet, Montrose, the Doobies. Right. It was just like, yeah. And they had that thing where Team A would play this city with this set of equipment, and then Team B would they'd leave the sound system and then yeah. swap it and right. take the train and go over. But I, I, didn't, I never heard of another label doing that. It was such a hip idea. Okay. So they, Honey, they were really, they were really like a family based. Absolutely, like and then it, it was way before Warner's was at the end of the seventies. Warner's, Electra, and Atlantic formed WIA. Yeah. WIA got a yeah. big <laughs> giant corporate that. building, and you know Thriller and Rumors sold twelve million copies, and Thriller was huge, and Miami Sound, uh, Miami Vice soundtrack records right. just went were billion selling. So then. When I renegotiated my deal, when I was up for re-signing, Walter Yetnikoff tried to get me to come over to CBS when he turned James Taylor, who had been languishing at Warner's. They made mm-hmm. He was a big hit. biggest. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'll do for you what I did for James Taylor. And Warner's was so pissed, they matched his offer. And then they penalized me for it because I wasn't bringing in the big bucks, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say. It was, all about, it was all about money after that, you know. I was going to say during that initial period when, you know, you had the you had the buzz, you had the critical claim. Um, shit, you even got the the cover of Rolling Stone. Um, for you, did you were you personally like? Because oftentimes we're like I I have the same situation. Well, not even I like 
both Fonte and I kind of came from situations where like we had massive critical claims with our product. And oftentimes I think people would just come up to me and say like, yeah, but you guys don't care about that because you guys are real artists. You don't need to grow. Oh, yes, okay. real artists still got no. mortgages, bro. Like, no, we. I would have liked to. Have given, I would have liked to given my band a raise. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I exactly. and and run run away. My version of Del Shannon's run away, kind of like love and happiness. I did this kind of Al Green thing and had Michael oh, McDonald know, on it. I know it. about it. Yeah. And and you know, I thought it was a hip idea. It started one of many covers that I like to rearrange. And they in it and it got up to number twenty, and then they just didn't put the damn records in the stores. You know, I wasn't a priority, and so that pissed me off. You know, it pissed me off that I was doing harder work than my record company wasn't following through. All they needed to do, if I sold three thousand seats, there should be at least three thousand records in that town that people can right. go buy after they see the show. So, you know, everybody bitches about being mis not promoted, but you know, I thought they didn't do as great a job as what I was hoping, but I, I agree that my music isn't that commercial and I don't look like Stevie Nicks, you know what I mean? I, I mean, I didn't have that, I didn't have that thing that makes you go from a respected artist to, you know, uh, you know, like my other female compatriots. I was sitting here trying to think who, who were buying these peers at the time because you were talking about being on tours since you were 20 something. I heard all these male names and I'm like, where, yeah, who, are, who are your contemporaries? Well, well Linda, Linda Ronstadt, Emmy Lou Harris, right. Maria right, Moldauer, right, right, Phoebe, right, right. Phoebe Snow, you know, yeah, we were all, we we're all on tour all together. I, I mean, was going to say Phoebe Snow. Okay, yeah. good. That's what I was oh, going to yeah. ask you. Did you get to tour with these ladies? That's what no, we just went to each other's show because we had our own band and crew to pay for. So we, it wasn't until the Lilith Fair that we that they finally had women on the same bill. That didn't happen till Lilith Fair. But yeah, I mean, cause... I could have I could have done another woman, but it was made it made for a better show if you had a little bit of a dis. You know, at first I was playing with Muddy. You know, I had Mose Allison, and I had Sippy Open and Ruth Brown and Charles Brown. So I had I had some debts to pay and showcase people that you know I wanted to showcase. But I had a lot of singer songwriters that that wrote the songs that I put on my records and I owed it to them to sh give them as I build up my following. I love to be able to showcase Chris Smithers. But the piece that you, that was interesting that you said was that you toured when you were 21. I was just curious because you were one of the only females on tour at that time and you touring with oh, your- Oh no, Emmy Lou, Emmy Lou and okay. Linda and Maria. We, no, there was lots of women touring and I'm okay. sure country, I don't follow country music much, but I think they were all touring. But not with you. We, no, no. We that's all had our own band. We had so that's what bands. I was saying. Like back in the day, it, it seemed like you were on tour. You know, it was a lot of fellas, a lot of folks that you looked up to. But that must have been an experience in itself and lessons that you learned in that way. Oh, woman yeah, because, you know, if you're if you're the only girl in the entourage, you look pretty good at two in the morning. Uh, <laughs> and how, there you go. I'm getting no, wow. I but I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm just saying that you, sometimes you date within the. Organization, oh, I understand. which which so, you have to be careful whoops. because you're still on that bus together for another ten months if it doesn't work out. Oh. Yeah, yeah, awkward. You know, I'm one of those people that can sort of attest to. You know, I've I've, I've been really careful on meeting my heroes. Some of them have been magical. Some of them have been not magical. <laughs> Okay, yeah, some were assholes. <laughs> I know that because you're such uh, a champion 
for like all these authentic blues artists of of them all like who of that legendary circle that you grew up listening to uh from your childhood did you really bond with personally um in in your in your first time not not post nick of time not john lee hooker era but like in your initial era and initially, Mississippi Fred McDowell and I got to be very, very close. I, he's one of my favorite of the Delta Bluesmen and one of the only ones that was alive that I had access to. And we just clicked as I later in the 90s when I got to know him better and played a lot of shows together and did a duet. John Lee Hooker and I became really close, as did Ruth Brown and Charles Brown and I. In the middle of the 90s, we all toured a lot together. But but early on, Fred McDowell and Sippy Wallace and I toured together. Sippy came out of retirement in 1972 at the Ann Arbor Blues and Jazz Festival. I didn't even know she was alive. I cut three of her songs before I found out, looking to where to send the checks. And she came out on stage and was only going to do a gospel song, but she's... She heard us rehearsing Women Be Wise, her song in the trailer, and she said, oh, maybe I'll just... I had a soprano player come right up to her ear, and she probably hadn't sung it in 30 years, and she said, well, I'll just do that one song. And then people went apeshit, and then she (laughs) toured for the next 15 years, including us together. And there's a classic David Letterman clip with Sippy Wallace and I singing Women Be Wise with Dr. John on the keyboards that you got to check out. It's like 1981, maybe, or 79. Okay. But anyway, Mississippi Fred McDowell, he passed away when I was 21, like only a a couple of years after I started being close friends with him and we toured together. It was heartbreaking. I ended up losing a lot of the older semi-grandparent figures in my life that I got close to. And, you know, I was very close to Muddy Waters, and he passed away. And thank goodness for John Lee and and Ruth Brown and Charles Brown, who I got to celebrate and and, uh, have deep relationships with. So my heroes, you know, I got to be friends with. Yeah, that's a lot of history that you know. God, Lee, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask, oh, um, your history and your relationship uh, with another guitar god, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh my God! I'm gonna have to put lipstick on for that. Um, <laughs> do, do, get get your lip gloss. What would you like right? to know? What was your uh, relationship like working with him, oh, and kind of what was your guys' friendship like? We were mutual fans of each other. Uh, we got to be friends in Austin, Texas, when I would come through and play. You know, one of my favorite hangouts and places to play where the music in New Orleans and Minneapolis and. Austin, the black and white music scene was not so segregated. It was really a lot of interplay, not just in blues, but in all kinds of music. You know, that's one of the reasons when I met Prince and he said, oh, I've always dug your music, you know, and I said, well, how did you hear about that? And, you know, he said, what, you know, how did you, anyway, it's one of those things where the fabulous Thunderbirds and I did a lot of touring together, but I first met them in Texas at at Anton's Legendary Blues Club. And the word went out about Stevie Ray Vaughan, about the Vaughan brothers, and his first album came out. And I, you know, if you're a blues guitarist and a fan, the the word of Stevie Ray got blasted out into the stratosphere when he played guitar on "Let's Dance" by David Bowie. I mean, that's right. one of the baddest ass solos or performances. And then I met him. I saw him play. We toured together. We were. Uh, party mates and we were sober mates you know he his his he got sober a few months before i did 
not long after our tour together, by the way. And, uh, and, good and, and I saw him come, he came out on stage and played the night he came out of rehab and he just, he was worried that he wasn't going to have the same edge and he played, he, he burned a hole in the sun that night. It was incredible. His mom mm. was sitting right there on the side just going, and I said, okay, that's it. That's all bets are off. This guy's on a comet, you know, the greatest guitar player in my lifetime that I've ever heard. When you're interacting with these, with these blues greats, um, is it dismaying to them? Number one, is it dismaying to them that they're not receiving more support from a, a, a blacker fan base? Um, I can, I can, yep. I can sort of parallel it to my situation where like, there was definitely a period where it's just like, you know, the first seven years of my career, I was just like, wait, I guess the music that we're doing really isn't attracting the the fan base that looks like I do. And so is it is it mind blowing to them that this like this white woman from from California is <laughs> doing more the knowledge than you know than yeah. other black people. But we also, we talk about it. So but my other thing is um and I really wish and I guess I, I have to also do the work because I'll say that the blues is probably the one area of music that I really, really haven't, you know, sunk my teeth into. What is what is the criteria blues, it's hard in your that. mind for what makes a great blues man, blues woman, a blues player? Like, are yeah. you listening for tone oh. are you listening for dexterity like is it just yeah like... you know it's it's that it's so ineffable it's really hard to explain because when people say gee I, you know i want to send you some songs what are you looking for i'm going well and then people send me identical copies of something to talk about or i can't make you love me and i go you know i already did that i don't know i gotta find something new um, and what makes me go crazy for the people like Lightning Hopkins or John Lee Hooker's Crawling King, King Snake Blues or Mississippi Fred McDowell, it's the soul and the intensity of what is revealed in their vocal and their body language and their marriage. If they're a guitar player or a piano player, the it's one thing, you know, Memphis Slim was just, you can't separate his body movements from his voice, from his piano playing. Fred McDowell, the same thing. John Lee Hooker, oh my God. You know, it's the darkest, haunting, I, I don't want to say it's the blues is only about the hurtful things or the pain that's so deep because it's so Which might be by black too. people <laughs> yeah, I just want somebody I mean, to say that. Like, one of the reasons but, black people might not yeah. be just running to it is because we've been going through it and we made it. Yeah, and so exactly. now I was going to say that it's too much of a reminder for me personally, but yeah, but I mean, it's it's the the way that it came up when and when I started out was what what right do you have to sing the blues? You're a white girl from California daughter of a Broadway singer, for God's sake, how come you, you know, I said, you know, I didn't even think about it. I just liked the music and I needed to teach myself how to play it to entertain myself in my room. I didn't ask to this. I didn't say I was great. I didn't mm -hmm. say I had the right to do this. If you don't like the way I sing it, don't come to my gig, you know, but I'm not trying to be black. I'm not trying to usurp income. If anything, I was, I was made to be on the earth 
to showcase why artists of that generation never got royalties and why they rhythm and blues pioneers that line our record shelves never saw a penny because they're still in these oppressive exploitive record contracts that they didn't know any better, didn't have access to legal fee uh, lawyers' advices. They just were not cutting people in more than 2% of royalties. And out of that, they had to pay for everything. So, you know, in the early days when people would say, I, I would go up and ask Sippy and Fred and Muddy, like, how do you feel when you mm-hmm. look out there and see all those white people? And he goes, you know, I wasn't expecting to be invited to go to England or to go to invited to the Newport Folk Festival. I didn't expect for CBS to offer me a record deal, you know, for Sun House and all this. A lot of these people were retired for 25 years, and they were rediscovered by young white blues fans, and they, they were delighted. He said, I love playing these colleges. All these girls, like, laying at my feet in the hotel room afterwards when I'm playing the blues all night long, and these guys are, you know, treating me like I'm the second coming, you know. He said, do you know what it's like to be ignored for all those years and not get to play mm-hmm. and then be 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 celebrated and appreciated. He said, I don't care what color they are. I'm just glad mm-hmm. they dig it, you know. Mm-hmm. But but Muddy didn't have a problem with Stevie Ray or Lowell George or Mike Bloomfield or me or anybody. If, if somebody could play, they it, that's the thing. If you could sing and play and, and impress them, mm-hmm. then you were in, you were in the, the club. Line. That's all that matters. Yeah. But you better play. Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do and as many Airbnbs that I stay in because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation while you're on vacation? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money, but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa. Mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. 
Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. So without without me being really controversial with this next question. Good, good. <laughs> Here you go. No, 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 no. Okay. Because this is I think this is my one chance to ask this question. Okay, so back in 1990, 91, when, you know, my mind is getting more open to all types of music or whatever. So a guy like me will buy a copy of Physical Graffiti by Zeppelin. And, you know, and I think when you're a teenager, like between 12 and 22, your, your mind is just open to everything, especially if you're a music fan. Like, if you look at my record collection from 12 to 22, it'd be somewhere between the Ohio Players and Debbie Gibson. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and no, but just like Lightning Hopkins, like, I was just open to everything. You weren't alone. So, my, oh, yes, exactly. So, my whole thing is, you know, I, I can't divorce myself from really being in love with like Jimmy Page's guitar work on the Zeppelin records. And it's only when I got older, when I started like going back and reading old reviews, like, of course, with revisionist history, like Rolling Stone will say, you know, Rolling Stones will do complete issues dedicated yeah. to Zeppelin. But back then, yeah, I didn't trash realize how much yeah. of a, like, this is fraud. Like in the same way where hip hop heads might call out an MC uh, who isn't a really of the ilk of the culture that, you know, got more success and whatnot, you know, got yeah, accused yeah. of. I know what you're saying. So, but the thing is, is that even now when I still listen to Zeppelin, like I can't, and there's still older cats that are just like, man, fuck that shit. That's fake blues. Like listen to the real shit. But it's like, am I wrong in thinking that and I'm using like in my time of dying as an example where they're doing like bottleneck blue slides and all those things. Slag as well. Yeah. Like is were critics just hard and, and guarding the gate or was that a problem with a lot of the, the English blues guys? And I'm talking about Clapton. I'm talking about yeah. age. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, what are your feelings on those? Like on, you know, Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton and Keith Richards are just, I mean, when people fall in love with music and they adopt a style that's not, comes from where they grew up, somehow the whole culture got the blues somewhere in the mid-60s. We all got discovered and everybody was just nuts for it. And so it's a question of uh, what you do with that appropriate you know it could be appropriation or it could be just absolute passion but I think it's a good idea to try to give it back and share the stage and pay props to the people that originated the music and you in your interviews and in your songwriting credits you don't take credit for a song that Willie Dixon wrote right only settled right. 30 years later Right. So, you know, there's just basic shit like don't steal people's stuff, you know, pay but some. No, no, I don't, I'm not saying I'm not saying they did. I'm just saying I'm OK. So but I'm just saying, how did I feel about the? Do I did I like the way they played? Like his musicianship, like in 
When you're oh, Jimmy in, Page in, is unbelievable, unbelievable. Okay. Yeah, no, and Eric Clapton, unbelievable. Stevie Ray, Jimi Hendrix. You know, I didn't, I didn't look at it as colors. I didn't look at it as gender. I just went, this guy's a badass. You know, that kind of thing. So, but in yeah, terms I, of uh, of the debt that white artists owe. Black artists whose mm -hmm. music they are making money from, you better start sharing. You you take a knee financially as well. Ooh. Right. Well, you created I, the I mold. Just always want, I, um. Yeah, I just always wanted to know, like, were they authentic in their presentation in oh. addition to... I think, you know, they, they, I think they built on, they built something completely different. You know, like when the Stones do... You got to move. I mean, they're not doing it exactly. They can't sound exactly like some older guy, but right. They, they, you just do the interpretation. And if you don't like hearing, you know, it's just up to the listener, whether they think it's authentic, if it moves you or not. And if they mean it, I think that's got an, it's got a valid, a valid reason to, to exist. And your know, brilliance is brilliance, no matter what genre it comes stems out of, you know? Uh, -huh. So I don't. I may not be. I may not be answering that very. No, no, no. I, I get it. No, nah, no. Nah, I, I got it. I get it. So okay. Um, as many people know with the show, I I bleed purple, and you know one of the very first times that I've heard about you in my teen years was when Prince was going to sign you to Paisley Park, um, and I've heard those demos. I've heard I need a man. I've heard at least four or five of the songs he was going to submit to you. Can you talk about that? What was, what was that whole period like when you were about to sign the Paisley Park? And well, it never, it never happened? got to, it never got that far. I mean, he, I had been dropped by Warners right when I was getting ready to go on tour with Stevie Ray Vaughan. And, you know, we had six months of band and crew work and I had to pull out because without any promotion or any album to sell, we just weren't going to be able to promoter didn't want to take an act that didn't have support from the record company. So he pulled the rug out of me and 25 people. And uh, I had to go on tour just as a duo with a bass player and try to make a living and pay my bills. But everybody else was out of work. And uh, we were normally touring all the time. We didn't sell records. We just made our living touring. So somewhere in a couple of years in, Prince called and said, man, you got a raw deal. Why don't you come on over to Paisley Park? And uh, Warners will have to take a little lesson on how to treat somebody. So we talked mm. about it. I said, I, I, I don't want to go do a whole Prince record. And uh, I know you don't want to come over in my, my wheelhouse. Mm. So if we can mm. really meet in the middle and come up with something that's equally mine and yours, um, that would be great. And, I, you know, we had some couple of wonderful evenings together playing music and watching Sly Stone and staple singers in screens that were the size of the wall, you know, and I got to go in his <laughs> closet and see his clothes and, see, and just, you know, it was really fun to get to know each other. And we had a lot of music that we loved in common. And um, so I had a a solo acoustic, a, a duo gig in, in Colorado playing ballrooms and ski resorts, which I could make good money because I didn't have to pay for the band. So mm -hmm. my fans got to see ah, me up close gotcha. and do acoustic versions of my songs. So I was doing really well, but I went on a ski, took a ski lesson and fell on the skis and broke my, landed on my thumb Ooh. with my weight Ooh. in my body. And I pulled ah. my thumb off ligament and I couldn't play so I called Ooh. Prince and said we got we got to postpone it but you know what I did it turned out to be a blessing in disguise and 
because I was heavy and I wanted to, I said, man, if this works out, I got to make a video with this guy. And I'm like 30, 40 pounds overweight. And I'm going to take this opportunity while I got this cast on to go to get to the musicians meeting and hang out with my old buddies that I used to party with, but just be sober with them. And I'll, you know, ride my bike and lose some weight. And by the time I see Prince, I'll be ready to be filmed or at least more ready. Mm -hmm. So that was a blessing. And then I went to Minneapolis and he had already cut the songs and, you know, did all the tracks, but in the wrong key. So they weren't in my key and there wasn't any place for me to add any musical ideas except just to play some slide on a couple of things. Right. But uh, there was one of the sets of lyrics was something I would never... You know, honey, you can mess around all over town, but we're still cool because there's something I like about being your fool. Nobody's fool. No, no, ma'am. But, you know, it. I need a M-A-N, real man. I mean, it was funky ass. I mean, you know, he's just, we could have done some really cool stuff together. And he went off on tour in the summer. We made plans. I canceled my tour with my band and went to called my brother in Minneapolis. I said, I'm on my way. And he said, for what? Prince extended his tour and never called me. So I put oh. my guys out of work to make the record with him. And he never called me and just stayed over in Europe. So uh, it was not a, it was not a happy ending. Mm. But Yikes. still a great artist, great artist. Did a lot of wonderful things for women guitar players. <laughs> Bonnie, when did you pick up the slide? When did that become a thing in your arsenal? I have a theory. You were talking about matching guitars with voices. I feel like for some, in some way, the, the sides sound like your voice. And yeah, sort of this that's weird how, that, thank you. That's how I feel about it. And and I like the tone. The tone that I pick is because it that's how I, I hear. It, it, it picks up where I leave off, you know. So I And Lowell George from Little Feet is the one who gave me a compressor so I could hang the note longer because I asked him I said how are you holding that note because Fred McDowell sure didn't do that and you know Ry Cooter and Lil George are the masters and then now we got Derek Truck so just whew. but anyway I heard uh I heard slide guitar when I was about 14 when I got some country blues records and I taught myself to play a tune to an open tuning and I soaked the label off a chorus seed in cold bottle and I put it on my middle finger and I just mm. pl I played I didn't have any lessons but I I hadn't seen anybody do it, but I imagined it was like my my grandpa had a lap steel that he'd played hymns on where he drew the bar across the neck of the guitar. So I just pretended that that was it and just listened to that record and went, mm, not quite. And I, I taught myself to play from those records and then just honed it down. You know, eventually I had to go to electric because a lot of the keys of the blues that I like are... Um, there, my voice is five keys up, and I, if I put the capo halfway up the neck, I can't get the octave without on a longer neck. So that's why I went electric. You, um, of course, uh, friend, well, I'm saying friend of the show because he hasn't done a show yet, but Steve and I worked um, with, our, with our good friend Don Was. Could you talk about the relationship with Don and... Um, Hal Wilner, bless, rest in peace, the great yes, Hal Wilner. Yes. Yeah. He called Don up and said, I would love to have you and Bonnie Raitt sing Baby Mine from Dumbo for this Disney tribute I'm doing. And he called me and said the same thing. He said, I don't know if, meanwhile, I'm like a complete was not was hound. 
You know, right. that's right. That is my jam. Those guys, those lyrics with that singer, those singers and the, yeah. that music, I, I went mm -hmm. nuts for them. And so on the session, it went so beautifully. It's one of my favorite tracks I've ever cut, this beautiful Disney tribute. Mm. Little one, close your eyes. We did like a... Da, 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 Baby of mine, you know, just here, here goes Laia right now. Oh, <laughs> like, I, I wish I could so see Laia right now. Laia is falling out. <laughs> that did it too. Oh, thank you. I, I never thought Don would uh, it turn out he was a big fan of my early records. Yeah, and he couldn't believe that I was a fan. I could like quote every dad, I'm in jail. You know, I could quote all these was not was songs. So mm. we were, it was a love affair. You know, and we just, he came to my acoustic show outside of L.A. We were playing this club called The Coach House, and I think he came to that. And he saw me just playing my stuff with just a guitar like I did the first four years of my career before I could afford a band. And he said, you know, let's make, and I said, would you want to do a record together? And he said, yeah, but I want to do a record where, let's base it on if you could sing the song on the guitar or the piano and and make me know that it's a Bonnie Raitt song. Mm. Then forget that forget the who's in the band just start with what you let's pick the songs that work just by yourself even though we used a band that's how we made Nick of Time. We didn't have a big budget and I suggested my drummer Ricky Fatar and you know Hutch Hutchinson and we had Ben Montench and we had Mark Goldenberg and you know we just had a stellar group of players including Randy Jacobs, but he might have been on Luck of the Draw from Was Not Was. So right. I told him, he didn't know about Ed Cherney, and I said, man, there's this engineer that does Ry Cooter and David Lindley El Rayo X records. We got to see if he would do this, because, you know, he did Get Rhythm by Ry Cooter. That album is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we met Ed, and the three of us just hit it off, and we went in the studio together. And we just, we love each other. Man, yeah, it showed up in the music. It showed sure did. I was just thinking that Fonte, like you could hear you, it. Thank but in, you. in making that record for you, the temptation to go to your sweet spot, which is the authentic blues, the the that authentic raw sound. At any point, did you were you nervous about kind of? And I'm not saying cleaning it up, as in you yeah. know compromise, but there's definitely a noticeable sonic difference in that record and mm -hmm. your previous album so the the like what kept you from hitting your upper limit in in terms of oh i see what you're saying what what like you know like ah oh, this is too clean like this is not bluesy enough well i mean i don't do only blues songs so you know i always have a uh, there's a jackson brown and eric cat love has no pride and angel from montgomery i mean there's there's a breadth of R&B and rock and roll, like NRBQ songs and, you know, Fabulous Thunderbirds and Chuck Berry kind of thing. And then there's funk tunes. And there's a lot of the ballads are very stripped down, you know, the ones that I did on The Glow. And almost every record has some kind of heartbreak song that's stripped down to just guitar, piano, and bass. And um, so for me, the, the the way we approached Nick of Time wasn't that different than some of the other records that I've done. And it's just song driven, you know, whatever the song needs. And in terms of the sound of it, that's Ed Cherney is really, you know, I, he knows we want to 
really organic sound. And you get the right players, and I don't know if this works for you guys, but if you get the right song and the right players in the room and you get an engineer that knows where to put the mics and which mics to use on which instruments, then you just let it happen. You know, you don't rehearse, you don't open the oven door and try to, you know, you just set the stage and let it go. You know, that's how... That's how I'd been making records for since the Green Light album and later the you know earlier the Glow. I did a record with Peter Asher, who's known to be you know a pretty slick producer. But I just said I want to do everything live. So anyway, that I, I, I didn't. I mean, the bluesy thing. The only blues song on that record is "The Road's My Middle Name," and I wanted to do that with the Fabulous Thunderbirds in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so we went down there and did that. But that Jerry Williams song. Real man, man, that's just that's right, and that's that's my. I could have done that song at any point in my career, and and similarly with I, ain't gonna let you break my heart again with Herbie. Oh, right. you know, we just got really lucky with both those, luck of the draw, and nick of time, and you know the subsequent records. We great songs, great players, and I find the songs and bring them, and I and we had the a terrific core band. So I don't want to. I gotta pay props. People don't pay enough props to the band because mm-hmm. that's why those that's why that music is so special too. So how does your how did your life change? Like take us through, you know, from going just from, you know, all those years going from Warner and just going through that journey to finally hitting pay dirt. What does that yeah. look like? Well, I got a lot less free time because when when you're a political activist that uses your your voice and your money and ability to fundraise. When I didn't mean so much, I didn't get so many tribes calling me for Native American <laughs> justice benefits. Right. And at Planned Parenthood, you know, when I when I was a bigger deal, I could when I I'd go on, I got invited on the Tonight Show and I got invited on Good Morning America, and I could we had just formed the Rhythm and Blues Foundation in 1988, and I could go on every TV show and talk about how those artists that we owe everything to never got paid. And let's make Man. a donation and do the benefit for, you know, health, get some health insurance for some of these icons that we all love so much. And I make my living doing the songs of. So anyway, the biggest difference was lifestyle. You know, I could have some financial security. I could move up to Northern California. I could pay my band better. I could really raise money and attention for the causes that I love. But it, I got really busy and in demand. And that's Sometimes I look back at being more carefree when I was less of a big deal, and I wish sometimes mm. I could go back to that that easier time. But it's not. I, I don't spend a lot of time looking back. Okay, so I feel silly because as much traveling as I do, and as many Airbnbs that I stay in, because that's the only way I travel, I really have never considered my own space. I mean, think about it. What if you can make money for your next vacation? while you're on vacation. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, my house is just not fancy enough. I just can't do the things. You're sleeping on your space. I'm sleeping on my space. Yes, I'm talking to myself. And I really don't even have to use my whole place. I could just Airbnb a room. I know how this works. Because again, I use Airbnb. Duh. I mean, just think about it. Most of us that use Airbnb are only using it for 50% of its power. We're spending the money but we're not making the money. What if we could do both? Whoa, mind-blowing. And your home really might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. 
If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees? Period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. At the highlight, what was like the highest of highs in terms of, well, I mean, I would imagine that being a critical favorite and a, and a, and a favorite of the industry, that you pretty much met your peers, but just... Like, was there someone that you finally got to work with or at least become friends with that your otherwise pre-1989 life couldn't imagine, you know, were you in oh, that's a good Sinatra phone buddies or, you know, I'm playing like. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> well, I, I was blessed with being respected by so many musicians that I wanted to work with that I really did. If you look at my guest discography, you know, there's like a lot of people who I wished I could have sung with that I, you know, Willie Nelson and all kinds of blues artists and R&B artists. So I did get to record with a lot of people already even before that. But afterwards, making a record with my dad and getting him a record deal on Angel Records in the middle of the 90s and singing Hey There with a 42-piece orchestra, that was some heavy, (laughs) beautiful stuff. Because, I, you know, here I am helping Ruth Brown and Charles Brown, and I, I would say that, singing Merry Christmas Baby with Charles Brown, and we got to move to the outskirts of town with Ruth Brown, two of the great highlights of my life, to be able to showcase and take on the road. Ruth Brown and Charles Brown, put them in hotels they deserved to stay in the whole time, give them a tour bus that they couldn't even believe they were in. Mm-hmm. And at that point in their life, for me to be able to turn around and do something for some people that mean so much to me, that was the high point of that success and Singing with my dad and Ruth and Charles and okay John Lee, you can't. That's even, it's just like. it was deep. It was deep. It's still deep. And Toots, oh my god. Oh yeah, Toots Yeah. Oh, Toots and the Maytals. That's right. You you're part of that other Hal Wonder project, right? Uh, Hal's always putting weird albums together. Yeah. You know? Well, I I had I had cut True Love is Hard to Find on on uh, Nine Lives in 80, 85, Yeah. Right. Eighty six, and then. Toots and I did it, and then and he won a Grammy on that album, Reggae, you know, True Love, which is all duets. Yeah. You know, to have John Prine and Toots gone, yeah. I mean, and Hal. It's yeah. 
I wrote a song on my new album called Living for the Ones Who Didn't Make It. It's all about that. Bonnie, what did your dad, I meant to ask you this earlier on, but your dad and your mom, like, what did they think about where your music went since you came from them? You, you know what I you mean? You know, when I started doing I'm Built for Comfort, Not for Speed, you know, Willie Dixon mm-hmm. song that Wolf did, yeah. and they were, they were in the audience at the second fret, you know, mm-hmm. in Philadelphia off of Rittenhouse Square, and they came to my first gig, and I, I wasn't going to do Spider in the Fly by the Rolling Stones or... And I ended up singing "Built for I'm Built for Comfort, Not for Speed," just me and an acoustic <laughs> guitar and a bass. I think that embarrassed my dad a little bit. So I think <laughs> here's how they felt: they were delighted that the world thought I was talented. They were dismayed I didn't finish college, but then they could tell that it was I got lucky, and uh, that the lifestyle I was living, partying a lot, and. I don't think they. I don't think they dug that too much. So my dad always said, if you want to sing better and and not worry about losing your voice or catching colds on the road, just take a little bit better care of yourself. And he, they were really happy when I quit trashing myself, which wasn't all the time, but after the shows, you know. Right. Yeah. After the really... shows, I, I never let anything get in the way of my show because I didn't sell records. So I, you know, f- that show was everything. I had to be. Yeah. I had to be really good every damn show, and that's what my dad taught me. Every night is opening night. And while it should be mentioned that while you didn't graduate, you did go to some really amazing colleges, right? So I I did go to Harvard for a couple of years, but (laughs) man, this college of John Lee Hooker and being on the road with Mississippi Fred McDowell was a better college than any, you know. (laughs) And and I and I, yeah, and I wish, and they all wish that blues was not a bad experience for most black people. That would have been great if their grandniece and grandchildren wanted to go into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's an institutional racism that in a community where blues people should be on stamps and taught in the schools and blues artists should be revered and paid and and, and treated like that jazz is treated in Europe. You know what I mean? It should We should just be lifting up roots music of all kinds, not just blues. And the people who, it should be taught so that little kids can really appreciate their own heritage and, you know, uh, and dig B.B. King and actually go see him, you know. It shouldn't have to be just be me and Eric Clapton talking about B.B. King. (laughs) Now you want to add more to the curriculum, the critical race theory? No, no, Bonnie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, the question I always wanted to know, in your post-1991 life, is there any concert that you've ever given in which your fan base is fine if you don't do I Can't Make You Love Me? Oh, or, that's a good Because I always wanted to know with signature songs, you know, there's a point where Nirvana just stopped doing Smells Like Teen Spirit. Wow. And sometimes artists will shy away from doing their signature song all the time. But for you, how do you feel about that song of all of your... Uh. I would not do a show without Angel from Montgomery or I Can't Make You Love Me. Because those people, a lot of them haven't seen me in a long time. Right. You know, some people didn't see me last time through. And maybe they haven't seen me in six or seven years. And they love that song. And so I got to do it for the people that, you know, and I try to I try to be as real and new every single night, every song. I don't ever yeah. post. No, you ha- you have to. Yeah, you have to. I, it's the opening night every night. Yeah, someone is seeing I mean, for the first time. I mean, and I remember, I don't, I remember being on both sides of that. I can't make you love me. I've having it, you know, where somebody said, 
I had to tell them I didn't love them that way anymore. Mm. Mm. And they and they and they said, "Could you just could you still stay through Christmas?" Mm-mm. Oh man, that was some. You know, we're past the peas, and you're looking at the person's mom, and you, know, you just you just you just you just broke their heart. And then I've been on the side where my heart was broken, where someone said, "You know, I love you, but not that way anymore. It's just not working out." You know. Ronnie, I need you somebody th- that can stay home and cook for me, Mm-mm. not be on the road. Right? Yeah. You know, we can't even talk about that song. Like, literally, I was sitting in my living room <laughs> with my 71-year-old mother and her 70-year-old friend, and we were talking about your music, and she was like, but that one song. She's like, don't play it, don't play it. Don't, oh, I'm about to cry. Oh. It is the Black <laughs> and, and, Woman Bring a Tear song. Do you know this is the Black no, Woman Bring I a do, Tear? I and do, I, and I know how many men cry when they hear <sighs> that song. Because oh. I get the letters saying... I've never seen my husband cry, and when I turned and looked at him, and there were tears, you know, that, that it, she said it repaired a whole lot of hurt that we had. Yeah. I mean, I mean, does it make sense? It makes sense. Like, and on. you know who wrote that song is a guy who used to be in the Cincinnati Bengals. What? He was a professional. <laughs> what? That was written by <gasps> what? Mike Reed was a Cincinnati Bengal. It's I don't know what he played, but he's a... And Alan Shamblin wrote the words, and and those two guys, and and Mike Reed wrote a song on Nick of Time called "Too Soon to Tell." But I his love own, "Too Soon to Tell." And no, of course, because he wrote "I Can't Make You Love Me Too." And no he, wonder. <laughs> no wonder. That's and he's like this yours. big bear of a guy. Oh, I love it. And he writes this, and he has a voice that break your heart like Michael McDonald. Oh, wow! Don't say Michael McDonald. <laughs> oh, yes. I know Michael McDonald. <laughs> excuse me, I'm right with you, Leah. I'm, I'm telling just, you, this is oh, that's I the guy for me. I was going to tell you that I love. Even though I love, I can't make you love me. For me, too soon to tell is my favorite song of yours. Thank you. I love that song. And wait till no. you, wait till you, you got to call Mike Reed and tell him how much you love those songs. Oh, he's still well, cool. He, he right now on. knows it because we just said it. That 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 is <laughs> mind blowing to me. That is mind blowing to me. I mean, it, it's yeah, because you know, six foot four football player does not normally sit down and write. But then look at Hornsby, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, big people have, have hearts, too. You know? <laughs> I'm saying. Okay. No, well, we'll just get you in a big club, Bill. Get out of here. Now he was speaking. But... <laughs> oh, I thought you. I thought, I thought Bill was trying to say, I'm saying, like, he's like my size. You guys, you guys, I should just, I'm just going to sit back and let you guys clown because this is too good. No. Terrible. Are, are you all are you all in the same city? No. No. Well, some people are. Like three people yeah. are. Yeah. I'm in, in New, New York, York right now. I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, I love Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm in Lamert really? Park. Okay, that's what's up. Yes, Lamert Park. I'm in Lamert Park. I like to say that okay. proudly. I'm a, I'm gonna wrap this up shortly, but I definitely have to ask, how did you feel when you got inducted? Oh, that's it's like, how do you think she felt, Amir? But no, no, it's sweet. It's sweet of you to ask. How did it feel for you to be inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It was outrageous. And, you know, I don't know if I really deserved to be in, but I knew that I had lasted a long enough time to qualify and they didn't have enough women yet. And and as a woman lead guitar player, as a champion of unpaid royalties and debts to artists that didn't get their props, which is why that damn museum is there and the organization, 
so a role model for activism and guitar playing and leading a band, I'll take it because I, I want to inspire the next generations of women musicians and activists and righteous people trying to get that royalty reform and get the songwriters paid by the streaming service directly and not go through the record labels. Come on. I mean, there's all these people that wrote the songs that I made my career on that haven't seen a penny from all those streams. So, you know, I'm not going to shut up about it. So anyway, I was happy to be in there because I didn't read a lot of negative press about she doesn't deserve it. So that was, I was worried about that. And, you know, we all get worried about social media because my feelings get hurt. So I don't look at I don't look at a lot of the responses in case people saying, I wish you'd just shut up about Native Americans, you know, and pipelines, you know. Listen, meanwhile, <laughs> I was about to ask you what causes are closest to your heart right now. We need to oh know. Oh, my God. Election protection. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Democracy is a good one. Democracy is nice when that works. <laughs> so election protection, <laughs> the climate, climate, you know, fiasco, and and the fact that food and Access to health care and education, the inequities and income and opportunity are just number one. You know, we just got to mm-hmm. get there's there's too many justice, equal pay for everybody. But, you know, the health care system, what you name it, but food equity and health care equity and education, equal pay, equal opportunity, climate change. But man, the demo- democratic hijacking of democracy in this country by the right wing is just you know, we got fascism on our door right here. Mm-hmm. You know, don't kid yourself that that we got to yeah. get everybody out to the polls. Yeah, Purple Fornia. That's where we live. It is. Yeah. It is weird that just the basic, just basic human needs are now seen as justice causes. <laughs> oh. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it is <laughs> crazy for you. For you now, is there anything in your career? that you have yet to bucket list that you you wish to um to achieve oh uh, i've never been asked that um love your passive aggressive way amir of uh of asking to do that with bonnie Raitt. that's no. <laughs> well, we, we, we did get to play they backed me up on used to rule the world it was a badass version too it was really great yeah the the um i would love to work with Keith. I would love to re I, I would I would really love to re-up the WOMAD festival where there is an unbelievable collaborations of like Paul Brady, Habib Corte from Mali, Paul Brady from Ireland, Liz Wright, you know, Esperanza, mm-hmm. me, Amir, you yeah. know, reggae guys, I would have put Let's go. in there, but but you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like a touring WOMAD across pollination of fertilization of music that it doesn't matter what genre it is. It's just great where we can hear each other every night. I mean, Jackson Brown, Sean Colvin, Bruce Hornsby, and myself with David Lindley went on tour as a super group in 1999. Oh, it was just fantastic in the summer. We just had a little window of time, and we all got to sing and play on each other's songs, and I, mm-hmm. I'd like to do that again. I don't know. That was probably too amorphous an answer, but do you no, guys know what Wom- what WOMAD was? It was fantastic. When you say Keith, who what Keith? Oh, referring Keith to? Richards. Keith okay, Richards. Keith Richards. Some people oh, would have sweat. Oh, you know, so I forgot. I forgot sure. where I was. I, 
No, no, no. no, no, no. Binary Ray Keith Sweat Jam. I'm just saying Sweat Love. Keith Sweat. No, no. You know, I was just thinking on the top of my head, and I said Keith. But, you know, in my world, there's one Keith, but there's more. Keith Sweat, you're right. There are several Keith, Keith Urban. Oh, I, was thinking, I was thinking Keith Thomas as well, uh, the producer Keith wow. Thomas. I thought you could jam. Oh <laughs> my gosh! And thank you for remind, giving me a reality check. No, I mean that guy who uh, together we will stand there and be weathered together. We'll, you know, I don't know if you. He loves playing the piano and singing almost Hoagie Carmichael kind of standards, and he's really good at. It. I love the versions of that he does of those songs. It'd be really fun to do, to do something with him. Well, we we now know that you have uh, manifest magic, so you can make that. I'm going to manifest that WOMAD festival, but we have to keep COVID under control so we can go across borders and be safe. Yes, May. I say by May that it'll. I'm I'm saying right now I am. You're manifesting. I'm manifesting by May, mainly so we can get Fonte at the house in time for the Roots picnic. In Listen, June. talk about it, Amir. <laughs> we was all thinking it. It's, out, anyway. it's, it's outside, man. It's outside. It's cool. But you know, yeah, yeah. I don't do indoor. If it's outside, it's, it's cool. Now, I will say this. COVID or no COVID, two days. I'll, yeah, I don't know. I'm cool. But now, two day, a two day festival. Wow. Yeah. Oh, no, nah, I've been having the time of my life, Bonnie Ray. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There you go. I there could go, go to so many places right now, but I just met you, so I'm not going to go there. But Man, I'm, in my mind, in. I am going. I'm going in my mind about what you've been up to. Mm. Um, been been self uh, work, just working on myself. You know, it gave me time yeah. uh, just to slow down. I dropped like forty Good pounds and spend more time Good with my family. You. Like, yeah, I'm I'm cool. Man. There's been some good stuff about it for sure. I made a no, record. It's I'm been really some proud of and I probably, stuff about it. I probably yeah. would have made a different kind of a record, but you know, it's been nice to have. But I miss touring. Oh my God, I miss playing live. Yeah. And uh, I just got to say, I, I tape your show every night and watch it the next day. And I love you guys. I wish I could have a whole separate series of when you guys play on the, you know, with Jimmy yeah. on the show. I wish we could hear we everything that you're playing all yes. the way through. Yeah, Thank we, you. John yeah. Batiste too. Those guys you do all that work and Ain't work that? up those tunes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we had him on the show too. It was a really good show. Yes, yes, we did. Boy, that 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 video for Freedom and his, the videos on his record. He was. I mean, I wish they just let him dance around for a while and make me happy. Yeah. I, I hope this is his. I hope this is his nick of time year for the Grammys. Wow, you know, I hope so too. Man, I'm going there. I'm going. So, wow. you know. I know. Okay, well, you know awesome. he's gonna. Oh, and can I just thank you for Summer of Soul? Oh, oh thank you, thank oh. you. And I know you're gonna. This is gonna be your nick of time at the Oscars. Yeah, too. yeah. Let's talk about right. it. Let's claim. Talk it. Look, I manifest, manifest it. Come it. on, channel it. Look at it from up top now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> See now you ain't. Take your flower. I just here. have I, to ask you: Did you have to tune? And was Sly and all those guys that much in tune on every damn note? <laughs> you don't have to answer. Funny, here's I'll never funny, tell. Wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> here's the fun. I'm so glad you only because you asked that question. All right, I'm gonna admit one cheat that I did once. I, I did only two cheats on the on the movie because. Uh, Sing a simple song was in E. I cheated the the intro drone that they did to that key. To be in the so key. Because they did it 
the, the, the drone was in another key and they went to another oh, song. Wow. Then, they, then they went to sing a simple song. But no, no, no. I mean, very cool. Part, very cool. But for the most part, uh, I will say that everything that you heard was this 100 percent from the soundboard in 1969. Like literally Damn. we did maybe 0.1 percent of, of mixing. Like we we barely touched touch the board man like, that, wow. that now does that guy does the guy who mixed that and recorded that did he get a little taste yeah <laughs> give the engineer some <laughs> come on here you go let my beak baby wet my no, no, beak. No, no, no. Yeah. Let jimmy, our jimmy the legendary jim jimmy douglas who did he did amazing grace for aretha franklin like oh jimmy, Jimmy Douglas yeah, has been all the Timberlands like early stuff yeah like he's been for 50 years like the man so wow. yes he he was my engineer. No, she oh, was that, the guy that, who, the who recorded the mix. it. Oh, the original. Yeah, the guy, yeah. the original, oh, the guy original in the mix. House. Believe it or not, that was a rough mix. Like, well, give him a rough from... paycheck then, dude. He's, he's dead, <laughs> hey. Steve. Yeah. All right. Damn. He said he got well, family. Well, I gotta say that was a really great. <laughs> yes, he does have family. He, he, that was a great mix, and thank the, you. Some of the baddest singing live I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. Well, I, mean, I, oh I my appreciate God. it. We really are so grateful. And when you say there's more footage, I can't wait. Yes, there's more. And we'll, I can make an announcement in like May for after, yeah. after the Oscars. I'll make I'm manifesting that right now. Summer Soul Deluxe, eh? I will take yeah. it. Yes, I will take all your yeah. manifestations. Yeah. Come and see us. With We're going to be with Lucinda in New York, but then we're going to be with Mavis on the road, and you'll probably still be That's going to be like... You'll be, you'll be having to be in New York doing your nightly gig. No, I will come to see... He'll be it's in my area. I will see this, because yeah. I'm all okay. about flowers to, to, our, to, to our greats, and you're one yeah, of our... Yeah, well, thank... Oh, thank you. I was thinking Mavis will, you know... Not, but I thank you for considering that I'm that I'm all the things that you said in the intro. I'm I do I'm really very very That's touched, real. very touched. Bonnie Raitt. I do not not anybody gets on the show, you know. Like we we have to love you. And well, Bill Sherman was our first guest, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go, Bill. And now we love him. And now yes, we love we him. love you. Just yeah. a reminder. No, Try to get the new album too. I was just gonna mention the new album. I was plugging. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead I was gonna plug the, just just like that. Just make sure you go get the new Bonnie Ray album. That's oh, all. I hope you dig it. I hope you I dig do. It. I, it, it delivers. It, I will say this: it delivers. It definitely does. I'm just like Bonnie's giving us what we need. There's a great soul it. ballad on there called "Blame It on Me." That's the one. I, and yeah. there's a there's a funk tune that I wrote that mixes Eddie Harris, Les McCann with the Commodores. Mm. So you got to check it out. It's called "Waiting for You to Blow." And I'm really proud of it because I wrote every little drum part and every keyboard part, every little horn part. So anyway, blame I it on me. It. Who uh, who were, were you? Did you write "Blame It On Me"? Is that no, I didn't. A guy who? wrote it, sang it on the. Uh, two guys wrote it and sang it okay. on a Facebook performance, and and they sent me the link, and I went, "What? Wow! <laughs> yeah, and That's you know so what's dope. really fun about this week? And I know we got to go, but." This is the week as a record comes out in the middle of April and a single hits this week. I could call because the, the streaming services are going to start listing the listing the tracks. So mm -hmm. I got to call the songwriters that didn't know I cut their song. Ooh, and I've, I've had it for, since last June. I knew I was going to 
that I cut it, right? So I had to sit mm-hmm. on it, and I got to make that call going, hi, it's Bonnie. I know you don't, we don't know each other, but I really love that song that I heard back in 19, you know, 2009. And I ended <laughs> up cutting it. This guy's just flipping out, man. I'm oh, so wow. happy. That's what's up. That is nah, awesome. that's life changing. Yeah, that's Bill's yeah. hey, man. Yeah. It's, nah, Bonnie, I, I just want to say, I just, um, you know, I just remember, I just got up on your early catalog, maybe probably like 10 years ago. Um, and you know, it was a good buddy, a guitar player, friend of mine, Chris Burner. He put me up on like your early records. And, uh, just for Aww. me, just a part of my childhood, just again, luck of draw, a uh, luck of the draw, nick of time. Like those records were everywhere. You couldn't escape them. And so you're just definitely someone when I talk to younger artists, I definitely mention you as just, you know, an example of perseverance and how just staying in the game, you just never know. Like I had no idea. I mean, I was, you know, 10 when Nick of Time came out. I thought you were a new artist. I had no idea. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, so just cool. to see. And, yeah, you know. And, you so. know, as wasn't I lucky to be 40 when I got it? Because I would have fucked myself up if I, I don't know if you can say that. On, oh, yeah. no, this oh, was yeah. Supreme. Oh, say yeah. that shit. But, that but, shit. but I'm saying that, you know, the people that can, like Taylor Swift and, and Nora, I mean, a bunch of people mm-hmm. have gotten really famous early. They're handling themselves much better than my generation would have done. And if I had hit it big, well, y'all didn't have social media. I'd so be you... dead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah for real. Yeah. yeah, Well, but you know, we thank you very much for your artistry, and this is definitely an honor to have you. you on the show. Nah, thank you for coming, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of Questlove Supreme, Fontigolo, Maya, Unpaid Bill, and Sugar Steve, the great Bonnie Ray. My name is Questlove. We will see you on the next go round. Awesome. All right, you, you guys. God bless. Stay safe. Right, you Thank you. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Hi, it's Sugar Steve from Questlove Supreme. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.